Hey, growing up, uh, me and my family, we always wanted a pet. We always wanted um, an animal, so to speak, in our house. Um, really, I don't know if it was because we couldn't handle just, you know, us being there or because we actually wanted the dog or a cat, but who knows? My mom will probably tell the story. But my mom and dad, they, they wanted a pet. We wanted an animal, whether it was a dog, a cat, uh, definitely not a mouse. I don't know why people have mouses as uh, pets. I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't understand that. But, but eventually, we, we decided we wanted a dog. And so my parents, one day, a couple of years ago, pick up or adopt, if you will, our dog that we have now. And her name is Sheena. She's a pit bull mix. She's amazing. I mean, her, her energy, her charisma, it, it, it's so charming at sometimes. Other times, it's, it, it's not. Like, for instance, when a stranger was trying to come to our house one day, Instead of her greeting in a calmly way or her greeting in a way of, of, hey, how are you, in a loving way, she barked. Not only did she bark a lot, but instead of barking and just standing still, she took a couple steps back and ran through the window and broke it. Our dog is crazy, but her energy is like always ecstatic. Her energy is always like just so spun up, like she's 24-7 running around the room. And then, and then if a friend comes over, she's like, well, you know, I'll, I'll sniff him, sniff her and, and see what they're like. And then once she does that, she's like, all right, you can come in. But then when it's me and my brother, our dog does not care how we enter the room or how we enter the house. Like Sheena looks up and says, okay, look, Caleb, congratulations. You came home. I don't care. And she just goes on with her life. But when it's my parents, it is a whole different story with my parents. Because my parents were the ones who adopted her and the first people that she saw was my mom and dad. There's like a special connection between them. So every time my mom and dad come home, whether it's like five minutes away or 10 minutes away, like they've been gone for an hour or so, all of a sudden she, she smells them or senses them. They come walking through the door and she just starts jumping for joy, like making laps around the living room, going in our beds, making a mess, just just barking, just excited, gets her rope, starts throwing it everywhere. I'm over here like, why can't I get that reaction? Like, I feed you. I take you out. I, I'm I'm a precinct good, like, I'm a pretty good dog care, all right? Like, I can do my job right. But for some reason, my mom and dad get this exciting, amazing reaction that no other people get. It's because of the special connection my mom and dad had with Sheena. It's that connection of like you and my father, you and my mother, you adopted me, you took me in your family. And I'm always excited. I'm always going to be loving when I receive that. And church, there's a very special connection that you and I can have. There's a connection, a special connection that's like no other connection. It's more greater than a human connection. It's far greater than an animal connection. It is a connection with Jesus. It is a special connection that you and I can, you and I can receive. It's the gift of salvation, the connection that Jesus has given us. And there was a woman in the Bible who had a special connection with Jesus. And before we go into John chapter 4, Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for um, your word. God, we love you so much. And God, we thank you again for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins, God. Showing us that you want a connection with us. Showing us that you died for us so you can have a relationship with us, God. And I pray today in this message, God, that I will get out of the way and you will speak through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I said, there was a special 
connection that a woman had with Jesus. And we're going to turn to John chapter 4. And before we get into the scriptures, I'm going to give you guys some time to go there. It's a, one of, part of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is the last gospel. And, and in this story that we see here, in verse 3, it already starts off. It says this. It says, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. So right now, Jesus is on his way to Galilee. He's continuing his ministry. And verse 4 is where it gets a little tricky because if you don't know, Jews and Samaritans are not, are not fond with each other. Jews and Samaritans, they do not like each other. But verse 4 says this, and Jesus is a Jew. And it says in verse 4, it said, he had to go through Samaria on the way. And so here is Jesus. He's a Jew, and he's all-knowing. He knows that he's not fond with Samaritans. He's still going through Samaria on the way. So there's something significant with Jesus going through Samaria. There's something different about Jesus taking this path. And the story continues. It says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Every time I read like scriptures about Jesus being tired or Jesus being thirsty, I just like stand in awe that like Jesus was 100% God, yes, but he was also 100% human. Like he felt tired. He felt thirsty. He, he, he felt hungry. And to me, that just shows how humble Jesus was. Like he could have been self-sufficient, gave himself bread, gave himself water, but he didn't. And it says that he was weary beside the well about noontime. So this is like the heat of the day. Like it's not early morning. It's not evening. It's noontime. Like exactly like when the sun is shining. And I mean, this summer already, it has been hot. Like if you go outside, just wear sunscreen. Just just wear sunscreen. Like I'm over here getting a tan just by going for the groceries. It's crazy. And verse 7, it says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? So already she's confused by this. She's already confused by this connection she's having with Jesus. And it's just because she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew. And there's already this this diverse like division going on and so she's confused by like why he's there and Jesus replied in verse 10 he said if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to you would ask me and I would give you living water but sir and she sounds confused in this verse she says but sir you don't have a rope or a bucket she said and this well is very deep where would you get this living water And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Verse 14, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So all of a sudden, Jesus asked for, asked for water, and she's kind of chuckling and kind of confused. I'm like, you, you ain't got a bucket, rope. Like, you don't seem prepared at all. But yet you're asking for a drink. And then Jesus later on explains, like, look, the, the water you're drinking right now, this physical water you're drinking, you will come back to it again. But the water that I bring, the water that I bring to people, 
is eternal living water. So all of a sudden, like, her attention is just towards Jesus. Like, there's something different about this person. Like, nobody speaks of, like, living water. Nobody says that, hey, the water I give, you'll never be thirsty again. So she's intrigued. She's interested. And so verse 15, she says, please, sir, the woman said, please give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. And then all of a sudden, verse 16, it's, it's like a flip that just switched. Jesus said, go get your husband. Verse 17, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. So all of a sudden, this woman knows that this is not a, a normal man anymore. I don't know about you, but if a stranger came up to me and told me all the things that I've done wrong, I'll be questioning if he was from back to the future or if he was a time traveler. Like somebody doesn't just come to you and, and tell you all the mistakes you've done or, or tell you your life, basically, the whole life you lived. And Jesus just did that. Jesus is like, listen, I know you've had husbands before. I know you're going from man to man to man. And all of a sudden, this woman's like shocked. Like, where did you come from? Like, are you a prophet? Like, like who are you? Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Jerusalem, where our ancestors worshiped? Verse 21, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But, verse 23, the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So she obviously knows that this man she's speaking to knows a lot. So she guesses that he's a prophet, some, some sort of teacher, if you will. So she asked, she, she asked him a question, like, why is it that you Jews worship here and us Samaritans worship there? And Jesus simply answers it as, listen, there's going to be a time where it doesn't matter where you worship. It doesn't matter if it's a specific church or if it's a specific building. It doesn't matter if it's in your car or in your home. It doesn't matter where you are. You will be able to worship God everywhere you go. And this is before Jesus died on the cross. So obviously he's speaking into the future. He's speaking into existence that, hey, there will be a day where it does not matter where you worship. And church, I want to say the same thing to you. It doesn't matter if you worship here. It doesn't matter if you worship at your home. It doesn't matter if you worship at work. You are freely able to worship everywhere in spirit. You don't have to come here on Sunday and only worship Sunday. I think a lot of Christians, we have this stereotype of, yep, Sunday is when I get my praise on, and then my Monday through Saturday is my normal life. No. You can worship Every single day of the week, you can worship in every moment that you live. And worship isn't just singing and praising, you know, and singing songs. Worship is your lifestyle. Worship is loving your neighbors. Worshiping God is loving your enemies. You can worship God not just out of a song. And so this woman's like astonished by him. And the woman said, well, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's like, all right. Thank you for giving me a great Bible lesson. I'm going to wait for the Messiah to come. And then verse 26, the big mic dropped. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. So all of a sudden, 
This woman is, is on her normal routine, her normal schedule to get water from a well. And then in the blink of an eye, her whole life changed because she made a connection with Jesus. See, that's what happens when you have a connection with Jesus. See, she knew about Jesus. She said, hey, I'll be waiting for the Messiah to come. So she knew Jesus, but she didn't have a connection with Jesus. See, there's a difference. You can know all the scriptures. You can know all the stories about Jesus, but never truly have a connection with Jesus. And her life has changed from this story forever. And I often wonder and think back to this story, like, why, why was this so significant? Why was this connection so significant? And I, I want to go back to verse 8. In verse 8, and this is talking about Jesus. It says that he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. When I first read this story, I kind of overlooked it. And then when I read it again, I realized this wasn't just a connection. This was an appointment. Jesus was alone. His disciples weren't with him. People weren't crowded around him. No, it was just him and the woman. And the thing is, women don't usually go to the well at noontime. They don't go at the brick of heat. Like They usually go in the morning when like it's low. And, and it's usually like a group of people that go. Well, obviously, a lot of people assume and, and believe that because of her mistakes and because that she's a prostitute, that she was an outcast. That she went there at noontime because she didn't want anything to do with anybody. She thought she was too far gone. She thought she's already made enough mistakes. She was looking at all the situations in her life and saying, I'm not worthy of anything. I'm just going to go by myself. But Jesus interrupts her life in the middle. And usually at the most unusual times, that's where Jesus comes in. And Jesus came in and said, look, I don't care about your mistakes. I don't care what you have done. I just want your heart. Today, church, I want to remind you that it really does not matter what you have done. Jesus will still forgive you. Jesus will still love you. Jesus will still be there for you. And more importantly, Jesus still wants a connection with you. He's not looking at the situation or the storm that you're in right now. He is looking at your heart and looking at what he can do through you. But so often we look at the mistakes we've done. So often we look at all the things that are surrounding us and saying, it's too much to bear. It's too much that I'm going through. Jesus, you don't want me. And Jesus says, I want you. Jesus says, I want your heart. And the woman's life was changed forever and and my life was changed forever when I made a connection with Jesus. I grew up in church all my life. I heard all the stories about Jesus. I heard heard all the stuff about, you know, the miracles and raising Lazarus from the death. Hallelujah. Great story. But growing up, it never clicked with me. See, I, I was adopted. And so... When my birth mom gave birth to me, she thought that she was too young to have me. And so she uh, calls to adoption center and says, hey, I have a child. I can't take care of him right now. I would love to send him out for adoption. And so the adoption center calls the parents I have now. Now, my parents that I have now already adopted one child. So they weren't necessarily actually looking for a second child. The dad I have now, um, he was off the seas in the Coast Guard. He was already working. My mom was at home. And my mom picks up the phone and, and gets a call and says, hey, like, we, we have a child like waiting for you. Like, we would love for you to accept this child. And they don't usually do phone calls. So already, like, the phone call was unusual. Like, the message was unusual. And they weren't even looking for a second child. But my mom said, hey, 
Like, sure, we'll do it. Like, we'll pick him up. Like, like, we'll receive him. We'll take him in as a child. And, and I hear that story, but I perceive it a whole different way. My mom and dad keep reassuring me, like, hey, look, like your birth mom, yes, like she gave you up. But guess what? We're still in contact with her. We're still friends with her. We're still family with her. You're chosen. Like, you're worth it. You are valuable. But in my mind, the devil was attacking me over and over and over, saying I wasn't worth anything. Saying I wasn't valuable. Saying I wasn't chosen. Saying I was giving up because nobody wanted me. I received, I received that lie and I took that lie because I never met my birth dad. I never had a relationship with him. I wasn't able, able to connect with him. So I thought to myself, it was probably because of me that he didn't want anything to do with me or my life. So going into middle school and going into the early school ages, I fought really bad with depression. I was diagnosed with depression. I was going to therapy sessions over and over and over. And they gave me great advice. They showed me like the ways to, to handle my depression, to handle my anger, to, to ways to point back to Jesus, but it never clicked with me. And my depression got so bad. My, my anxiety of waking up every day got so bad that I wanted to hurt myself. I, 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 wanted, I thought there was no purpose in me breathing. I thought there was no purpose in me living. I thought every single day that I woke up during that day, there was no purpose. But then that next Sunday, after wanting to hurt myself, after wanting to just take my own life and say, well, here I am, I have no purpose, God came through. And then that next Sunday, I heard a message about a bridge, an illustration about this bridge of, of here I am and here is God, and there's a separation. But all of a sudden, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he made a bridge. He made a way for us to have a connection with him, and all of a sudden, it clicked. And that day I gave my life to Jesus. I had a relationship with Jesus. I made a connection with him. And it transformed my life. But I didn't just want to have a connection with him. I didn't just want to have a relationship with him. I wanted to shout out with joy. I wanted to tell all my friends. So the next day I told my friends, I was like, bro, I just got saved. Like, I, I, like, bro, like my whole life has changed. Uh, I just started like shouting and just like, bro, it's the best decision of my life. They didn't react in the way I wanted to. I lost some friends. Some friends say, hey, bro, like you're stupid. I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm going to just go back to what I was doing before. I started to lose friends. I started to lose interest in people. And all of a sudden, people just looked at me as just like Jesus freak, so to speak. But I was so passionate about Jesus. I was like, listen, I don't just want to have a relationship with him. Like, I want to grow with him. And I felt like the woman felt the same way. Because after that connection she made with Jesus, it says later on in verses 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the, from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed there for two days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. And they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you have told us, but because we have heard from him ourselves. And now we know that he's indeed the savior of the world. So she didn't just have a connection and a relationship with Jesus. She did something with that. And in other words, she was committed to share with people. She was committed to live for Jesus. And that's how I felt. Like when I got saved and I had that relationship, I didn't just want to stay still and say, oh, yep, I got the connection with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. 
great. And then just live the rest of my life the same. Like, no. Like, this passion, this fire, like, just fueled within me saying, I got to share this. Like, I want to know more about this Jesus guy. I want to know more about my Lord and Savior. I wanted to be committed to him. And I think we all know what commitment looks like, but just in a practical way, we all know if you want to be committed to something, it, it takes time. I mean, it takes sacrifice. Like, if you want to be committed to, like, getting your body right and getting your body conditioned, you know that you got to go to the gym. Like, you can't just go to the gym once a month and then be Dwayne DeRot Johnson. Like, it's just, it's just not going to happen that way. And it's the same way with golf, really. I mean, if you want to be committed to a sport like golf, you got to play that every day. And unfortunately, I did not play that every day. And a couple weeks ago, me and Pastor Brian went out golfing on the Sleepy Hole Park. And we go out golfing. I bring my dad's club. And disclaimer, please do not judge me when I share this story, all right? I know that I'm not the most skilled at golf. But I feel like this story really shows how much I didn't know about golf. I, I pull up to the green, and one, I first had to put the key in the golf cart. I didn't know how the golf cart worked. Spoiler alert, I'm sorry. As much time as I played Wii Sports and, and all that other, you know, electronic video games, I don't even know how to drive a golf cart, all right? And so I pull up with the golf cart. I see Pastor Brian waiting. And Pastor Brian brought his son Blake with him. And to be honest, Blake was hitting better than me. <laughs> Blake was actually hitting the ball, and I wasn't. So we pull up to the first hole. I, I, I'm getting my swing right, or, or trying to. And Pastor Brian's like, all right, how many balls you got? And I was like, one. He was like, you, son, you have one ball. I was like, yeah, I have one ball. I brought one ball. Isn't that what the pros do? He's like, yeah, that's what the pros do. Are you a pro? I was like, no, I'm not a pro. And so he just grabbed a couple of golf balls and just handed it to me. He's like, just take these. All right, just take these. Please do good. All right, please don't lose these. I ended up losing a couple, but that's beyond the point. But I started hitting balls in the water. I started hitting balls in the trees. And, like, I just feel embarrassed. Like, this is my first time ever playing golf, and I am, like, terrible. And so a couple weeks later, I go golfing again with Pastor Brian. And this time we're in North Carolina. It's a beautiful view, you know. And over here, I'm like, all right, you know, Pastor Brian taught me a couple things, you know. You know, keep your swing straight, not too stiff. So I try to take that into the next, to the next game. And I will say, I improved. And that's all I can say. I really played garbage. I really played trash. But I can say I improved just a little bit. Like, I, I at least hit the ball and I made some distance. Uh, it wasn't straight, but I made some improvement. But the reason I wasn't playing very well and the reason I was, I was not like Tiger Woods, if you will, is because I wasn't committed to the game. I wasn't practicing every day, sacrificing my time, swinging every day in the backyard. I just picked up a club and hope I hit it somewhere and hope I don't hit anybody. I wasn't committed to it. Being committed to golf would be I would have to sacrifice time and energy. And the same thing is with your relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants you to be committed with him. Meaning Jesus just doesn't want to have a relationship with you. He wants to grow with you. He wants to grow with you in his word. He wants to grow with you by putting Jesus first above all else. And that means sacrificing some things. You may tell your friends like, hey, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus and I want to pursue a relationship. And guess what? Your friends may leave. You you, you may say like, hey, I'm committed to Jesus and I'm, I'm committed to following him. And some other people may not. 
But, but if we want to put Jesus above all else, if we want to put Jesus as a top priority, that's what it looks like to being committed to Jesus. That's what it looks like being committed to your daily walk, dropping everything and leaving to follow him. I almost think about commitment and a biblical example. I think about Peter and John. And it's in Luke chapter 5 where I read this story. And again, when we read like Bible stories, I feel like we overlook what actually happened. Like Peter and John in this passage are, are in their jobs, they're at the start of their careers, this is their family's business. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes out of nowhere. Like Peter and John are getting ready. Like they have, they have their boat laying at the dock. And Jesus says, hey, like pull your boat out. Like go catch some fish. And Peter and John are looking at Jesus like, uh, bro, like we tried to catch fish all day and all night. We caught nothing. And Jesus is like, like, bro, again, like I said, go and catch your fish. And they're like, all right, if you will, like if you would, like, yes, we, we will go and we will catch fish. So they go out. And Peter and John, I mean, this is their careers. Again, they know when the right time it is to catch fish and when the wrong time is. But all of a sudden, they try to pick up their nets. And, and there's so many fish in it. Like other people from other boats had to help, help them out and say, hey, like, look, we got a bunch of fish in here. Like, there's so many fish in here. So, so after like trying to put all the fish in the boat, Peter and John realized they, they have seen a miracle. They realize this connection they had with Jesus is astonishing. And here's what they do in Luke chapter 5, verse 11. It says, as, And as they soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. See, that connection they had, the level of connection Peter and John had with Jesus determined the level of commitment that they wanted with Jesus. They saw something that was a miracle. They saw something that was nothing like other. And they wanted to not just have a connection, but they wanted to be committed to him. They wanted to follow Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, they wanted to go. And can I tell you, church, being committed to Jesus isn't easy. You're going to be in unknown areas. You're going to be in unknown territories. Like, God, I don't know where we are in our financials right now. God, I don't know where we are with our finances. God, like, things are going up, things are going down. But I'm going to stay committed to your word and know that your promises are being fulfilled and you are always here for me. God, I don't know what's going on with this relationship, God. It's struggling. Things are happening with this situation, with, with all these family circumstances. But God, I will stay committed to you and know that you have all things under control. That's what being committed to Jesus is. It's putting his will above yours, putting his standards above yours, putting his plans above yours. Because I feel like so often when we have our relationship with Jesus, and we get saved, and we're happy, and we're joyful, but we're not growing our relationship, that's, what, that's the part that we need to work on, is growing our relationship with Jesus daily, every single day. So maybe today, maybe, maybe you need to start being more committed to Jesus. Maybe you need to start diving into His Word more. Maybe you need to start trusting in Him more. Or maybe today, you need to first have the relationship. The connection with Jesus. The, the connection that Jesus gave us when, when he died on the cross and he said, hey, I'm dying for your sins. And he rose three days later and he gave the gift, the wonderful, amazing gift that we don't deserve of salvation. The gift of eternal life that he has given to everyone. Maybe that's your step. Because in order for you to be committed to Jesus, you have to have the connection first. So maybe, maybe today you need to have a connection with Jesus first.
Maybe you've known Jesus all your life. You know all the stories, but, but it's never clicked. You've never actually had a connection. You've known about Jesus, but you never had a connection with Jesus. Or maybe today you already are a Christian, but you haven't been committed to Jesus. You've been putting what you want above what He wants. You've been putting all your plans and all your schedules above what God has in store for you. Let's pray. God, right now, there's two choices that people need to make today. Whether it's to have a relationship with you and God, what I pray that they will accept that free gift of salvation. Well, God, maybe today, maybe they need, they need to put you as a priority. They need to be committed to you, God. Because so often we forget how great your mercy is, God. So, so often we forget how amazing the gift of salvation is and we take it for granted. And we try to put our plans, we try to put ourselves uh, above everything, God, but we need to be committed to you. We need, we need to put you above all else. But God, what if there's anybody today that, that hasn't made a decision to, to have a connection with you, to have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they will make that decision today. God, as we go throughout this week, God, Lord, I pray that you will encourage their hearts, encourage their spirits, that they can just read your word. They can come into your presence, into your presence, judgment-free. That they can come to you and know that you are always there for them. That despite the mistakes they have made, God, that you will always love them. And Lord, I pray that people will take this message and apply it to your heart to not only be connected with Jesus, but be committed to Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.